So we are in week four of our five-week series where we have been systematically, line by line, sentence by sentence, verse by verse, going through Peter's letter. It's this called Second Peter. It's a letter he wrote right before uh, he left this earth, right before uh, he died. And so he's writing this letter to all of the churches that he had worked with. And so we kind of get this inside view of really not just Peter, but God speaking through Peter some warnings and some information that he would really want us to know. And what's so incredible is that even though it was written so long ago for the churches at Peter's time, it's insanely applicable to what is going on in our lives today. And so what we've been doing the last three weeks is we've actually spent the last three weeks in the first chapter of 2 Peter. Today we're going to attempt to do chapter 2, okay, which is 22 verses. So hopefully you mowed the grass yesterday and you raked your leaves and you set your meatloaf or your turkey uh, for for a few minutes after 12 o'clock because we might need a couple extra minutes this morning. So we're just going to dive right into it. Is that okay? All right. So go ahead. Oh, Paul, sorry about that. Go ahead and grab a Bible. They're in the seats there, page 1018. If you have your own Bible, which is what we encourage you to bring here at Shepherd's Gate, that way you can underline it and highlight it because we know... You are also encouraged to read the passage before you come, so hopefully many of you did that because we're going to have to go quick. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you take one home today. If you are a guest, once again, thank you so much for checking us out, whether you're here in person or online. If you happen to be in person, I'll be right through those doors after the service and would love to thank you uh, for checking us out and answer any questions that you may have. And so 2 Peter chapter 2, as you're turning there, let me just ask you a couple you know, starter questions this morning. They're easy questions. Ready? What is truth? What is truth? Because as you read 2 Peter, that's really what he's getting at. That's really what he's driving home throughout all of these verses. We live in a day and age when truth is constantly being redefined. And with the communications that we have and the technology that we have, it's insane the amount of messages that are coming at us from all different angles and means and vehicles. Not only the question of what is truth, who gets to decide what truth is? Think about that for a moment. Who gets to make that call? Who makes that call in your life? How do you determine what truth is? See, Peter actually tells us that we're established in the truth. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be established in the truth? We are established in our faith. We are established in the reality of who God is, that he is the creator and he is the author of life. And not only is he the creator and author of life, he sent his son Jesus to this earth to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to ultimately go to a cross, to die, to have the sins of the world put upon his shoulders, to pay a price for us because we're the sinners. That ultimately three days later he would rise from the dead so that we could be reconciled once again to our creator. 
And when you know that, when you receive that, when faith is produced in your heart, you then become established in the truth. And so if you were to summarize the last three weeks of what we've been talking about here on Sunday mornings at Shepherd's Gate, this is what it would be. Peter would say, truth is found in the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is like the key phrase he refers to all throughout 2 Peter. And the knowledge of God is found in the what? The Bible. Now, as the time that he's writing this, the Bible wasn't complete like we have it today with 66 books, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. He had the 39 Old Testament books. And as he's writing 2 Peter, he's also saying the words that I'm writing aren't just me. This, this is me writing it. More importantly, it is God that is speaking through me and that these scriptures are powerful words. This is what J.J. talked about last Sunday in the sermon. And so if you weren't here, you're all caught up. Isn't that great? All right, you ready for 2 Peter? Chapter 2, verse 1. This is what he says. But false prophets also arose among the people. So he's going back to the Old Testament, saying there's lots of false prophets from, from long ago, since the creation of the world, just as there will be false teachers among you. He's telling them, just so you know, you need to be on guard. That there are people that are teaching a different gospel than what Jesus taught us and what we, even as eyewitnesses, are now handing down to you. So you need to be a student of the word. You need to know the scriptures. You need to be in church. You need to be around fellow believers. You need to grow in your faith because there's going to be all these distractions and all of these false teachers and prophets. Not only so, this is how they work. This is their playbook they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. If you're new to church, it's a big churchy word, heresy. It means anything that's contrary to the truth that's found in God's word. See, God is the creator. God is the one who gave us his word, which is the truth. And the devil, because he's already been condemned, takes anything God creates and he counterfeits it. Okay, remember that. The devil does not have the ability to create. All he has the ability to do is take and to twist and distort whatever it is that God has established because the devil knows his days are numbered. He is eternally damned. And so he is out and he is active and he is alive and he is well and he is doing everything that he can to distort the truth of God. And so he goes after you first. He goes after your marriage. He goes after your family. And every generation, over and over and over again, that's what he does. If there's one thing it is, he's consistent, and he has a pattern of doing this, even in our day and age. So it leads us to this question. In 2022, who are the false teachers among us? Do you know who they are? Do you recognize when someone quotes a scripture or speaks for God and you go, wait, 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 hold on. That doesn't sound right. Or that seems like a misinterpretation. Or that seems like something was just distorted away from what I read or what I learned or what I heard or what was passed down to me. See, friends, some of you are here this morning because you went to a church. 
And in just the last 20 years, we've seen this played out as there's been entire denominations that have said, this is what we believe to be true of the word of God. Oh, now we're going to change it because we know better than what's happened the last 2,000 years. And so instead of the Bible being the inerrant word of God, which means it is without errors, that this is the spoken word of God, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. It is God. It is the inspired word of God. Now all of a sudden, it's not. It's just a historical book. And if you're a religious leader, your responsibility now is to take the scriptures to assess the culture, and then you are then tasked with explaining the scriptures based on what's happening in our culture. And this is a very dangerous practice. It's why there's so many mainline denominations that are blowing up. People are leaving en masse because they're all of a sudden scratching their heads saying, wait a second, why are we hearing something different from the pulpit on Sunday morning? Why all, all of a sudden are the pamphlets in the church that used to say, this is what we believe about a certain doctrine or truth, now all of a sudden we don't believe that anymore. This is what we believe now. Truth is far more important than we even realize. Seeking truth, knowing the truth, and being able to determine the difference between when someone is telling us the truth or a lie. It says it this way, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. I'll tell you, there's churches in our country and part of their playbook, part of what they would say that they do to attract people is that the preachers on Sunday morning do not talk about sin and they don't talk about the devil, they don't talk about demons, you don't talk about hell because that'll make people uncomfortable. And that's too confrontational. And so instead, what you do is you go to the church and they put on a presentation and there may be some cherry picking of certain verses and whether they're in context or out of context, all of a sudden you have a movement of people that are there, but they don't know what the Bible actually teaches. You need to know that you are a sinner. Do you know why you need to know that you are a sinner? If you're not a sinner, then you don't need a savior. You don't need me to tell you that you're a sinner and that you need the blood of Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on the cross to redeem you in order to become a child of God. You might as well stay home and watch TED Talks, okay? This is what, this is what they're getting at. And so this stuff seeps in. Do you see how it starts to seep in and we start believing that, oh no, this is going to be the new truth or this is going to be the new way. Can I tell you this? No one has ever been tricked into becoming a follower of Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. God is the one who produces faith in our hearts and our lives, and he awakens us to the truth. He awakens us to the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. And after he awakens us to that reality, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then all of a sudden, the whole world opens up, and we see things from a whole different perspective. So again, do you know who the false pastors and teachers are in our society, in our community? 
What else? What other voices? That's the title of the message, many voices that come in at us. What else do you think would be another voice? Media. And if we just put the word, this won't surprise some of you, social media in front of it. And some of you that have been around, you're like, you bring this up every time you preach. (laughs) Now listen, it's a means. Social media is a means, okay? And I get it, it's a way for people to connect with their family members. Here's the thing. Social media started off with people posting pictures of children and animals and their cooking recipes, right? (laughs) Some people, you still do that. You post pictures of your kids, you post pictures of your animals, and then sometimes you post pictures of recipes. That's the front of it. What's going on underneath that and behind the scenes is what should concern us. People that are censored, people that are told they can't be on certain platforms based on what they say, especially if they're standing up for biblical truth. Think about this for a moment. How many times do you think the Bible is misquoted on Facebook and Instagram? How many times have you been scrolling and seen someone and you're like, wait a second, that's a stretch? Because it probably is. We live in a day and age where the Bible is probably misquoted, misrepresented millions and millions and millions and millions of times on these platforms. The concern that I have isn't posting the pictures and isn't engaging with your family in a way to to stay connected with those who may live far from you. My concern is what's happening with our students and our young adults and how this has become their main source of information and connectivity in relationships. See, there's another movement that has recently started as well. Some of you might be familiar with this, deconstructionist. How many of you know what deconstruction is? deconstructionists do and so some people and even in the church world have kind of dabbled in this and said it's okay and here would be my caution when you are a deconstructionist what you do is you go back especially if you were raised in the church and you begin to deconstruct what it was that you were taught the truth that you were taught and so you have people now young adults some in their 30s they have instagram accounts they're on tiktok whatever it may be And they will blatantly say, this is what you learned in Sunday school. And this is the scripture that your Sunday school teacher used, but that wasn't the correct interpretation. This is what it actually means. And when you were in youth group, this is what your youth leaders told you. And this is the scripture that they used, but guess what? That's not actually what it means. See what's happening? And this is what you heard from the pulpit. This is what your pastor said. These are the scriptures that he used, but no, no, no. He got it all wrong. And what's happening is this front of social media has now become this vehicle to communicate false teaching and false doctrine. And so many people are getting sucked into this and swept into this. And what it does is is it creates this environment where nobody actually at the end of the day knows even what the truth is. Folks, we're at war. We are in a dark period of time i love technology and at the same time you have to call out the inconsistencies and the things that it actually has brought into our life and how easily it is for the devil to use it now i'm going to tell you this i've been in ministry for 22 years i've served here at shepherd's gate for 18 of those 22 years 
And I have always said, I never, ever, ever want to get political from the pulpit. I would rather just preach Jesus, walk through the scripture, be convicted by his word, tell you that you're a redeemed child of God, you were loved, you were saved, he died and rose again for you, have a great day. And even with all the stuff that's happened throughout all those years, I've been able to stay out of that. And here we are in 2022, where there are things happening in our country that the church can no longer be silent about. There are things that are happening, as much as it pains me, that I have to speak out about. And so again, if you're a guest this morning, can I just say I'm sorry? <laughs> this is not normally how I preach. This is not normally what, how things go on a, on a typical Sunday morning and about what we're about to get into in a moment here. So much so that I met with our church council this last week and I said, I just want to make sure you're on board. I, I was actually hoping that maybe they give you permission to not go this route. Can, do you really think this is okay? This is what I so feel convicted by the Holy Spirit and I feel that if we don't say something, that if we don't talk about this from the pulpit at Shepherd's Gate, it's as equally as a sin as if we would commit it. See, in the Bible, there's a sin of commission where you know and you go and you commit an act. There's also the sin of omission, which is when you stand by and you do absolutely nothing. And all six of those council members that are, rep that are representatives of this congregation, three men, three women, all said, you preach what you were convicted by the Holy Spirit to preach, and we have your full support. So here we go. I don't know if any of you are familiar, but that after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the governor of California took out billboard ads in other states. And he specifically targeted states that had the most conservative or restrictive views when it comes to the subject of abortion. And so these are the billboards and what they look like in some of the states where they were placed. I want you to think about this. This is the governor of California. Nobody in Texas, South Dakota, or Ohio can vote for him to be governor. He took money that was donated to his campaign that he would get reelected in California, instead used those funds in other states, and these are what the billboards look like. Texas doesn't own your body, you do. South Dakota doesn't own your body, you do. Ohio doesn't own your body, you do. Paid for by Newsom for California Governor 2022. Do you know that this is heresy number one? That this is not truth. Because if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told the church in Corinth that you were bought at a price that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You were fearfully, you were wonderfully made by God, your creator. And when you understand that reality, he goes on to say, therefore, honor God with your what? This is not true. You do not own your body. God does. He is your creator. And one day when we are put in the ground, 
unless he comes back first, our bodies will be reunited with our spirits and we will live with our bodies forever and ever. And thanks be to God, they will be new glorified bodies. Here's some of the other states and ads that he took out. Again, heresy number one. And if this wasn't bad enough, it went another level. And this was kind of the second phase of his billboard campaign, mind you, in other states, not even in his own state. Need an abortion? California is ready to help. And some of you in the back, maybe in the middle, you're not going to be able to see this, so I'll point it out. It's in small writing. But he quotes the Bible. And he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Mark 12, 31. Those of you that were here when we did the Gospel of Mark, you might remember this. Mark is often called Peter's Gospel because they believe that Mark's the one that took the notes as Peter dictated to it. Most theologians will tell you that. You think that this is what this verse means? So now you have billboards all over our country with a Bible verse saying that they are doing a good thing and they're doing it in God's name. No, friends. Life is intrinsically valuable. Jesus tells us that. The gospel tells us that. The psalm writer of 139, you were intricately made in your mother's womb. We value life. We value all life here at Shepherd's Gate from the moment you were conceived to the moment that you pass away, you are a valued human being. And we believe abortion is wrong. It is the taking of an innocent life. And I know this can be a hot-button topic. I know this can be a hot-button issue. The reason that this is so out of context is because maybe he doesn't realize, or whoever his campaign person is doesn't realize, that before you can have Mark 12, 31, you have to have Mark 12, 30. Does anybody know what Mark 12, 30 says? Any guesses? All right, I guess I'll give it to you this morning. <laughs> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You can't love your neighbor as yourself until you are understanding of how you love God. And you love God by following his word and his commandments and responding to the, what it is that, that he says we are to do with our lives here on this earth. Now you might be saying, well, that's California, right? All the crazies live out in California. <laughs> I live in the great state of Michigan. Now remember, I was on a sabbatical for three months and I tried very hard to not read the news or know anything that was going on locally or globally. I wanted to be completely disconnected. I've been back for three weeks now, and so I've had some catching up to do. And when someone sent me the email and said, you need to read what's taking place this November in the state of Michigan. Pastor Tim, you need to specifically read about Proposition 3. And again, my first reaction is, I don't get involved in politics. I just like preaching Jesus from the pulpit. We've had other propositions before. What is this one about? What do they want to do? Clean the water, fix the roads? What is this? And you begin to read this proposition, and I was like, there's no way, and I read it again. And I read it again, and I read it again. 
And I stopped. This proposition is terrible for the state of Michigan. This now went from being a political issue to a moral issue. And there is no way that the church of God can stand by and not inform its congregation and not inform people of the faith that this is something that we do not want here in the state of Michigan. There are so many facets to this thing and so many pages that I would encourage you, if this is the first time that you're hearing this, that you need to go and you need to read and you need to dig into it. There are three states that have a proposition to the level of what we have here in, in, in Michigan. There's three states, think about this. One is California, surprise. The other one's Vermont, not big of a surprise either. And the third is the state of Michigan. Michigan, those who are for this proposal wanna lead the country in the way of taking away all of these rights. And the way that they're doing it is through the lens of women's rights. This proposal has nothing to do with women's rights. It has everything to do with the awful and sinful and dark work of the devil who's alive and active in our society. Trust me, this is not easy to preach. This is difficult to have to talk about this. But we can't just sit idly by and watch. Jesus put it this way, Be aware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Parents of teenagers, you still have your teenagers at home. Parents of kids, your kids still are at home. Realize the devil has a bullseye on their back. And he will use any means possible to get into their mind. Because if he gets into their mind, he's hoping that it will seep down into their heart. We get to be their protectors. We get to be their parents and grandparents. We are the ones to speak truth into their lives and to tell them the difference and to train them in the difference of what is happening in our society. What's so mesmerizing is here we are in 2 Peter, chapter 2. And this sermon series, by the way, was, was determined way back in 2021. We planned that far in advance and how incredible it is that God always has perfect timing. Because think of this, I have three minutes left and we've only gotten through verse one. <laughs> so buckle your seatbelt. Verse two, many will follow their sensuality. Oh, how do I feel? It's how I feel about things. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. They're like shifting in the wind. They're not standing on anything. There's no truth to follow. And in their greed, they will exploit you with what? False words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Make no mistake, they are a well-funded and well-educated and a very strategic movement of, of going against the sanctity of life. And these next verses, if you read it beforehand, it's really hard to read and sometimes it can seem like God is angry because yes, he is angry, but at the same time that he's angry, he's also a loving and just God wanting people to come to know the saving knowledge of him. 
And so as you read these words, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but he preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he obliterated them, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Now, we don't have enough time to go into all of this this morning, but this is the key that I'm going to give you because one day we will go back and we'll do these books of the Bible in the Old Testament. As I told you, I'm committed to doing and we'll unpack these more. Here's what you need to know. In all of these three Old Testament references, number one is that Peter validates the Old Testament. He doesn't unhinge the Old Testament. He doesn't say the Old Testament is irrelevant. He attaches his writing to the Old Testament. And in, in these cases, what he's talking about, when he's talking about Noah and Lot, he's saying these are the people that stood for truth. They were in less than the 1% minority of the time, and God spared them. Because he's always at work, and it's his remnant that he is always saving throughout human history. And so what Peter is saying there is you need to look at how God will protect you and God will lead you and God will guide you. Jesus put it this way. He also validated Noah when he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What does he mean by that? This is the harsh teaching. Is that things are not going to get better in Michigan and things are not going to get better in the United States. They're going to get worse. See, if Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, well, in the days of Noah, people were so evil, they thought, they were so wicked that they thought about evilness all the time. And then he destroyed them, other than Noah and his seven family members. And if Jesus is saying, as it was in that day, so it will be, and you'll know because I'm this close to coming back and getting my church. I'm this close to coming back and getting those who, have, who I've put my faith into the hearts and the lives of people. Folks, I wish I could give you a happier message this morning. I wish we could go back to just, you know, talking about something that just makes us all feel good. That's not God's word. It's warnings. It's false teachers. It's false prophets. It's being on our guard. It's knowing that we are at war but it's a battle that's already been won. That's the beautiful part. We're in a battle. We don't have to worry about, oh, is Jesus going to win this one? No. He already won it when he stretched out his arms on the cross and he bled for you and for me. We're just in this holding pattern. We're just living in this time of uncertainty of, okay, God, so what is next? And this is the question we should be asking ourselves. Why do we exist? right now. God, what are you doing with the timeline that you've given me? If all the days ordained for me were written before one of them came to pass, then what is my call? What is my responsibility? And this is what God would say. You are to worship me. You are to have no other gods but me. And you are to align your life with the principles that I have given you in my word. And I will hold you in the faith. I will hold your family in the faith. And one day I will come back for you. Because here's the grace. 
Here's the incredible part of it. After all of this hammering down, here's the hope that we get from Peter. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Can we just clap for that one? That's our kids' verse, but man, that really should be our special verse for the day as well, isn't it? He knows what he's doing. He's still on the throne. And who's sitting next to him other than Jesus just waiting? And I always picture Jesus just ready to le- le- like jump out of the seat because he's just waiting for God to just tap him and go, go, and put an end to wickedness and all of this and come to the day of judgment, which is what he keeps talking about in these verses, that there will be a day of judgment. God will separate the sheep from the goats, the good from the bad, the believers from the unbelievers. And for whatever reason, that day was not yesterday because we're still here today. Which means we have work to do, church. There are people that don't know the hope they can have in Jesus, and the reason we exist is so that we can help people and minister to people and serve people and tell them the love and the grace and the mercy of a God who created them, who sent Jesus to die for them, who has a Holy Spirit that he's ready to envelop them with to give them hope and peace in an ever-dark and darkening world. Amen? You read this. It's just God pouring out his heart. It's God saying, man, there's so many false teachers, so many distractions, so many things coming at you from all directions. Here's some of the other things to watch out for. Their eyes are full of adultery. They love sin. They entice unsteady souls. Their hearts are trained in greed. If you know people, that, that it's all about building utopia on this earth and creating whatever financial you know, kingdom that they can and just surrounding themselves with earthly possessions. They forsake the right way. They've gone astray. And for whatever reason, he doubles down and he gives us another example in the Old Testament, which we're not going to be able to get into today as well. And in his last passionate explanation of watching out for false teachers and watching out for false prophets, he ends the second chapter with this verse. We made it to 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow and the mire. And what he is saying is there is a battle, a real battle. And I would submit to you more now than ever, it is a battle for the souls of the next generation. Kids of ours. Remember, I've been here 18 years, so I've been here long enough to see our students that I serve with in student ministry grow to become adults and go and get married and go and to have kids. I've done four weddings in the last three weeks, folks. Welcome back from sabbatical. (laughs) But here's the part that breaks my heart because I love doing their weddings. Man, I love putting my hands on them and doing the special prayer and just watching as the Holy Spirit is in that moment and is sealing them. The hardest part are the kids that I know that have walked away from the faith. The hardest part is having kids tell me that what they learned in Sunday school here or what they learned in youth group or what they heard from the pulpit 
they no longer believe. It's not a game, folks. Truth. The battle for truth. The battle for what is actually true. But it also causes us to have to examine our own hearts this morning, folks. Where are we being led astray from the truth? What lies are we believing? What parts of our past, as is, is awful and as crazy as it sounds, are we just going right back and returning to our vomit from five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? And this morning, listen, this is God speaking to you. He's saying, no, there's a better way. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. I love you. Man, I want to wrap my arms around you. I want to heal your heart. You having marriage problems? I want to heal your marriage. Your family is a disaster. Guess what? He has the ability to restore your family. It's Jesus. We stand on the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. By golly, folks. We got to roll up our sleeves. We got to work even harder for this next generation. We got to figure out how to come alongside them with grace and mercy, yes. And in that same tone with that grace and mercy, we also come with the truth and we're like, hey, this is what God says. This is what God's word is. We're not beating them over the hot head with a King James Bible. It's not what I'm saying. But we come alongside them and we say, listen, man, you were so loved. And we're going to pray. We're going to be on our knees. And we're going to sacrifice to make sure that this message is passed down to the next generation. Amen? You bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I know this is not an easy message to hear. God, but it's the truth. It's the truth because it's your word. And so God, in this moment, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, whether we're here in person or we're watching online, God, would you break us? Would you break the strongholds of sin in our lives? Even this moment, God, I just pray that there would be an unleashing of confessing taking place in people's minds. God, I confess this. I confess this. I don't want to be held by my own sinful, awful, lustful desires anymore. Back to maybe things that I did in the past because I'm letting the devil have a foothold in my life. God, circle our families like never before. Post your angels around our kids and our teenagers. God, may they know who you are, the truth of who you are. That, God, you're still at work. There is still hope. And that you are going to walk us through this season. We're yours, God. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life.